0: Well, it's good to be with you uh, today um, and to bring uh, God's Word. Um, Today, uh, we're looking at Hebrews 11, (coughs) verse 7. Ah, there we go. Please join me in uh, reading uh, the passage together. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we give thanks to you for your word and for how it brings life. And we pray that you speak to us wherever we are, uh, maybe through my words, maybe through some other means, but that you speak uh, for your servants are listening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to begin by asking a question and that question is what is it that defines you as a person what defines you as a person if somebody were to ask you know who are you what what what's what one word what one idea would summarize who you are is it how well you cook or bake or perhaps for some of you, my son, maybe, how well he eats? <laughs> is it uh, the Excel formulae that you write? <laughs> Jenny's like, no way. <laughs> or I, I was thinking about Holam. You know, he, he works on Salesforce. He's not here today, but he works on Salesforce. And he sale, does coding on Salesforce. You know, is it how you code different things? Maybe you're an administrator of sorts. In your work, and you masterfully uh, manage every person, resource, and problem that's thrown your way. Or maybe you're still a student, and uh, as a student, you are the perfect student. You know, the perfect uh, sibling to your uh, your your siblings, um, the thoughtful child that makes your parents proud. What is it that defines you as a person? Maybe it's that very thing that shows up on somebody's tombstone. You know, those phrases that are on the tombstones, right? Um, You know, raised a loving family and was a really good eater. You know, I don't know. Uh, You know, what would you... I had this one for Holam. He's not here. But, um, you know, loving father, husband, and Salesforce coder, you know. But he, he's not here to hear this. Oh, well. Um, but, you know, what is uh, the, the, the thing that defines you? What is the thing that defines who you are, that summarizes what you do? I start with this question because the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 that we've been going through is snapshots of these defining moments, the defining uh, ways to describe these people these Saints of old already we've been introduced to uh, two of these Saints Abel and Enoch and I don't know about you but I don't know much about Abel and Enoch and it, it kind of s- strikes me as odd to find them in Hebrews 11 okay just because it, they're, they're not names that I would think of automatically from the Old Testament right you know we think about Abel right and Abel is kind of an interesting one because we never hear about Abel except with Cain. It's always Cain and Abel, right? And in Hebrews 11, the reason why he's honored is because he has a better offering. Better offering? Better offering than whom? Than Cain. See, as siblings, they're always compared. I don't know, you know if you have siblings. you know, Have you ever been compared to your sibling? Well, you, you have a... they have a better one than you they you know they're better in this or whatever you know these comparisons right so abel is this person that is constantly being compared with cain and actually for me cain is more memorable than abel i remember cain more than i remember abel because of course you know cain is the jealous brother right and uh, he, uh, God preferred Abel's prize offering, but I could relate to Cain because you know I think there's in all of us there's a jealous streak, you know, and and there's this times in which we wish that we were uh, like the other one or better than the other one, your sibling or your colleague or somebody else. And after God questions um, him about Abel, Cain is the one that has that really uh, famous line, you know, "Am I my brother's keeper?" Right. You know, that, that's that's the line. You remember what Cain says, not so much what Abel says. And then there's Enoch. Right. Enoch is a really interesting person. Who is Enoch, actually? Right. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, there's only seven verses that talk about Enoch. Half of those are about his genealogy. <laughs> So it's not really about Enoch. It's about the family that comes before and after him, right? So, so about three and a half verses are about Enoch himself in the Old Testament. The reason why he's listed in Hebrews 11 in this hall of fame is because he walked with God. And somehow, for some reason, uh, which we don't actually know why, Enoch leaves this earth without experiencing death. We think... That's a good thing. We're not sure, but we think so. Because the Bible doesn't really say much about Enoch beyond these, these words. But today, today we talk about Noah. And Noah, I know. You know who is Noah? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Noah is the, the the firstborn of whole and D, and neither he's not here either. If, in case you don't recognize him, he's that lanky guy. You know, he often has this thing in his ear. You know, um, this is this is Noah. Um, okay, fine. This is not the Noah we're talking about. The Noah that we're talking about is the Noah with the floating zoo, right? That's what we know about Noah, right? Because the floating zoo. Is actually, you know, this, this is such a common kind of a toddler gift. You know, I, I don't know if you, you know, if you have kids or you, you have friends that have kids that you, you give gifts to, you know, what do you give them? You know, you give them a set of Noah's, uh, Noah and his ark and then animals, right? And this is, this is a secular gift, right? This is John Lewis, right? That, that you're buying this gift from, right? This is not religious whatsoever. And why do, you, why do you give this gift? Because, you know, there's the pairs of animals, you know, you always have a giraffe. Because it's tall, you have an elephant because it's fat, you have the the zebra because it's stripy, you know all these different things, and these animals help the kids to learn, yeah yeah, yeah you know it's, it's good for them to learn animal names and all this um, and so I think in in our popular imagination, when we think about Noah, we often think about him and his animals, right because this is how we've been uh taught in, in uh in in culture, in in, uh, society. But probably more importantly, is that in the book of Genesis, we have five whole chapters that talk about Noah, okay? I mean, five chapters, that's way more than the seven verse uh, uh, Enoch, right? And there's a lot of backstory about Noah, about growing, about the growing corruption at the time, and in contrast, it's really um, a lovely statement in Genesis 6 that after, against the, this, this corruption and all the sinfulness of, of his generation. And right at the end of that description, it says in Genesis 6, 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is beautiful, right? In the contrast with what was around him. And then the very following verse is an even more powerful statement. It is that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Yes, like Enoch, he walked with God. But here is a very unique statement. He is righteous and he's blameless. And why is this important? Because this is the first time anyone in the Bible is called righteous. This is the first time anyone in the Bible is called righteous or blameless. And it comes up uh, not once, but twice in in Genesis. In Genesis 7-1, it refers to Noah again as righteous. The next person to get this label is Abraham, um, who's the next up in the the Hall Hall of Fame. But Noah clearly... Is, is quite up there in, in the list. And of course, Noah, we know his story, right? You know, there, there's, a, uh, there's a flood that's coming. He builds an ark. You know, he, he saves uh, his family and all these animals into his ark. And then, you know, uh, at the end of the story, it's happy ending, right? And you have a rainbow. And, and you know, my, my daughter loves rainbows, you know. And she's like, rainbow, you know. And, and it's, of course, that, that symbol of the flood and, and what, what happened. Um, in uh in in genesis with a flood and of course it's all about this happy ending right but no that's actually not the end of the story for noah noah interestingly enough ends the story of noah ends in his old age where he builds a vineyard and through the vineyard, he, he makes his own wine and he gets drunk. And there's this really weird episode where he, he passes out naked and he, gets, he punishes his son for, for peeping on him and all these weird things, right? And you see in this the end of his life, this really weird event, right? How is this a saint? How is this person in Hebrews 11? How is it that this drunken and high-tempered Noah is the same person who God called righteous and blameless, who God said found uh, uh, found favor in his eyes? Why is he even mentioned in Hebrews 11? And I think that this uh, actually suggests something for us uh, as, as we reflect on not only this passage, But overall, Hebrews 11, and and actually uh, much of the Bible itself, is that all the great saints, all those of old, were human. And all of them, like us, were not perfect. They were saints, but they were also sinners. There are people who... Who we can learn from, both for the good in their lives, and also for the ways in which they turned away from God. And so, as as we uh, begin this uh, look at um, at Noah, I want us to think um, about uh, how what defines them, and and by. Uh, uh, who they are, that it is actually not about specific acts necessarily. But I think, um, in in a sense, uh, I was thinking this through, how how do we understand um, what defines a person? And I think uh, I would summarize it this way, that what defines a person is not necessarily the deeds they do, as it is the kind of character or person or life they have nurtured. I'll get back to this uh, later, but, but it's this idea that it is not necessarily the, it, the, the, the individual acts that are done, but the life that we, we nurture, that we uh, have, that defines who we are. We'll come back to this later. Um, but let's look uh, closer at um, Hebrews 11, verse 7. This, this verse starts with this uh, really uh, powerful phrase, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Here, immediately we are given a statement that almost challenges what I just said. <laughs> um, the verse doesn't seem to focus on Noah's character, but on the single act. He was warned, and so he built an ark. But if we were to read it like that, uh, we'd be missing the point of this verse, and actually this whole chapter. Because the constant refrain we find in Hebrews 11 is this phrase, by faith. Right? And we can see this in, in uh, the verses that were before. Uh, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life. And by faith, Noah, when warned about things uh, not yet seen in holy fear, he built an ark and saved his family. By faith, this phrase, by faith, points us back to this description that of faith that we find in the opening verses of this chapter. That faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance for what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And that is that faith is confidence in God's promises. And faith is trusting in God's hand and handiwork in this world. But it is a trusting in things that are not seen, that you cannot see. And I think this is quite difficult for us on a on a daily basis I don't know about you but on a daily basis on a weekly basis you know I go about my day and there's lots of things that are are on my schedule you know you you do not want to look at my diary okay because every day I have a lot of uh, meetings and a lot of tasks that I have to do every single day right and in the midst of all the things you know there's there's so many expectations uh, uh, of things that I need to get done right and uh, sometimes, you know, I, I may get stressed and you know, all these things, you know, these are the things that are most visible before me, right? The, the stresses, the pressures, the, the work that is before me, the demands uh, of, of, of work and family and everything else, right? These are the things that are visible before me. And because these are visible before me, I do not see God and his hand that is invisible before me. And so often, quite often, uh, it is my prayer in the mornings and and in the weeks um, that I pray that I'm able to see God and God's work in the midst of me. Each day, And it's by this faith of confidence and trust in the unseen that the ancients lived by. Nothing in this definition speaks about actions, actually. The acts are not what are defying them. It is the faith. And there is a special relationship between faith and, and deeds, and that is that these, the, the holy acts of the saints are the result of lives shaped by faith. So really, Hebrews 11 is giving us a a narration of examples of how faith results in actions. And this is why um, that's the definition of of faith in Hebrews 11, 1 and 2. But if we look on, this is why in this passage, you know, it's not only about the faith, but that Noah builds the ark in holy fear. He knows the greatness and wonders of who God is. He knows that God is in control. He knows what it means to follow after God. This is quite different from everyone else at the time. right? The rest of the world did not fear God. If they did, they would would also be considered righteous and blameless. But he is the only one that is seen as righteous and blameless. And so in Genesis, uh, when God commands Noah to build this ark and load um, uh, his family and all the animals, and repeatedly in in Genesis, we, we have this idea that God did everything just as God, uh, sorry, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. He followed after God out of deep reverence, out of holy fear, out of resolved obedience. Noah did everything God commanded him. It's kind of interesting, actually, because if you think about it, Noah is very much contrasted with the world. And that's why the the, the next pa- part of this passage is, is actually quite, uh, it sounds quite harsh when we read it, okay? The second half of this verse, it reads, By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with the faith. He condemned the world. And I was reading this, uh, when I, the, the first time I read it, I was like, wow, this is really unnerving. You know he condemned this world and then the second time I read it I was like this is still unnerving and still right now it, it reads very unnerving right what does it mean to condemn this world right is he judge over this world right and clearly this is actually not the case because throughout the Bible we have this idea in which the one who is able to judge is God it is only God alone who is able to judge no one no human no no mortal can judge it is only for god to determine what is right and wrong and we have a number of passages uh throughout the bible i I, I threw up a cup here a couple here but the last one's quite interesting because this is also in hebrews right It's in hebrews chapter 12 the next uh, chapter you have come to god the judge of all and he continues and describes what it means for god to be judge of all so it is god who determines who should be condemned and who should not be condemned? So, what does it mean for Noah to condemn the world? Well, some uh, think that this is um, something. Uh, th- this is here because it is Noah who testifies. Maybe he preaches. Maybe he proclaims to those around him. We have this idea in Second uh, Peter two five in which Noah is described as a preacher of righteousness, and he uh, supposedly spoke of God's righteousness to the people of his day. He spoke of an alternative way of living, an alternative from their lives of corruption. But another way to think about it is that Noah was a li- lived a life firm in faith. Firm in faithfulness in God and this righteous life constitutes a sharp rebuke to a godless generation it's in you know if you think about it the opposite of condemning is to give praise okay so if you condemn someone you're saying that you know this is this is, this is horrible this is wrong you shouldn't do this right but the opposite is to praise, to commend, to speak, speak well of. Right. And by giving praise and giving a um, uh, following after the righteousness of God, he is in effect rebuking the world. He is showing a contrast with this world. You think about you know. Think about Noah, right? When you know this this man who's building an ark in the middle of like this dry land. Why would you build this boat in the middle of a dry land? He's probably being ridiculed left and right, you know, by his neighbors and everyone else. But he does so in contrast to the ridicules of the world. So whether Noah uh, literally spoke and preached uh, to those around him, or he condemned by way of living his life for God. Ultimately, it is asking this question, how do we live? How do we live in following God? I've been thinking recently that, um, you know, uh, that, in in the busyness of 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 life it's it's really you know it's uh it's it's kind of easy to to live lives that are okay before god right that you know you're not you know killing anybody you're not stealing anything you know of course you know these are you know uh in some ways more or less Easy things I think I hope I don't know you know maybe for some people it's not but you know for for me on a day-to-day basis I'm not thinking about how to kill or to steal or to do you know do these different things so to live a life that is okay before God is maybe easier okay but the question is how are we doing more than okay are we living lives that speak out, that preach, that witness, that God is different for us. Do we live by faith? Do we live um, differently? And this goes to the... The, the last kind of phrase that, um, that I think is quite interesting in, in this verse is this phrase uh, in which Noah is called an heir of righteousness. Now, of course, I've, I've already mentioned that in, in uh, Genesis, the book of Genesis, where, where Noah first comes up, he's described as a righteous man, right? Genesis 6, verse 9, uh, 7, verse 1. But here in Hebrews 11, the author says something slightly different. The author says that Noah became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. That is, it is something that is gained through faith, something new. To be an heir, right? What does it mean to be an heir? It is to, to, be, to have a, a, a new inheritance, right? To, to be part of new family, in effect, right? And I was thinking about this, you know, oftentimes when we watch uh, movies, you know, uh, we watch different movies and we think about these, these arch villains, right? And these, uh, these the heroes of our stories, right? And, and oftentimes, you know, the, the arch villain is... Is really somebody who, who, as far as we're aware, they're villains their whole lives, right? They're born as a villain and they die as a villain, right? Um, and 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 you know, who are the the heroes? Oftentimes are there are these people that you know are innocent people, but then they they uh, take up heroic tasks and they become uh, superheroes, right? And it's it's this. Um, uh, this dichotomy, this this battle between that which is good and that which is evil, but rather, when when there's this idea, um, I, I think this idea of being heir of righteousness is that for Noah, his living of faith means that he is placed into a new role. He is placed into a new family. He's taken away from the corrupt world that he is a part of and placed into a new world in God. And so rather, um, I think people, the the saints that we hear about in Hebrews 11, these are lives, these are characters that are changed by a new family that they are given. But even more, they're, they're, they're heirs, they're adopted um, and uh, they they have this new family, so this new family changes who they are. Um, I was also thinking about sorry, I was thinking about a lot of uh, movies for some reason. But you know, I was thinking about like a lot of Disney films. You, you know, Disney films. You know, most Disney films. I realize most Disney films are about dysfunctional families of some sort. Have you ever thought of this? You know, there, there's always like some kind of a family issue. You know that that is uh, uh, broken. You know, a a, a a clownfish loses his father. You know, uh, a mermaid and, and doesn't get uh, understand her father. You know, and, and then you know, and then you know, there's you know the the Snow Queen, right, and and her sister. You know, and there's like um, weird uh, relationship between siblings here, right? And then at the end of these stories, oftentimes it's a restoring of these families, it's a re reuniting of these broken Disney families, right? These families are restored, um, but I think. What this idea of being an heir of righteousness has is that it's a new family that is being created, a new um, reality that is being that, that that Noah is placed into. Noah was once heir to a corrupt generation, but through faith he became heir of righteousness. He turned from one inheritance that which he was to receive in this world to a new inheritance, that which is under God. This righteousness by faith becomes what defines the character of Noah. And perhaps for Noah, you know, on, you know, if he has a tombstone, I have no clue if he has a tombstone, you know, on his, you know, it may be saying that by faith he is heir of righteousness and you think about it and that's actually quite a powerful statement because it's saying that wherever we come from we are not defined by our pasts we are not defined by where we come from but we have an inheritance in God through Christ But I think for, for Noah and um, for, for all these different people in Hebrews 11, we are um, introduced to people who are human. There are people that struggle with what it means to follow after God. And that's something that I struggle with. I don't know about you. But on a day-to-day basis, do we struggle in our walks with god but by faith by faith in christ by faith in christ's work by faith in god's continued work in our lives through the power of the holy spirit we are part of a new family we are given a new inheritance. I think just uh, briefly, if we return to uh, what I suggested earlier, uh, I would uh, redefine what I, I, I said about uh, what defines us and, say, and add the two words, by faith. That what defines a person is not necessarily the deeds they do, as it is the kind of character they have nurtured by faith. Because it is by faith that we have motivation. It is by faith that we are given the possibility to live lives for God. We live not for ourselves. We live not for our reputations. And definitely not for what's carved on a tombstone. We live by faith, condemning this world. And as inheritors and heirs, of righteousness let's pray, our Father God, we thank you for being our God. We all come from um, different backgrounds we all come from uh, with different experiences uh, with you and And there's so much um, that we really um, lack in our walks, that we lack in, in our day to day. Help us to see you, God. Help us to see how you are working in our lives god help us to talk to you help us in our lives that we may live by faith in you who are unseen but to know and to trust and to have the confidence in all that you promise Help us to persevere in the days to come in all that we do and place it all before you. In Christ's name, amen.